And so this morning, we told you today was going to be a little bit different. This morning, uh, Kristen and I are going to take a few minutes this morning, and we're going, to, uh, we're going to talk about love this morning, because tomorrow's Valentine's Day. And um, he, here's what I know about uh, love, not a ton. Um, <laughs> but what I do know is that love is one of those things that everybody is competing to define. Right. Everybody is competing for a voice on what love is, how love is expressed. And so today we want to talk about that because I just really believe that there are some days, man, where I love to get up here and I love to preach and I love to be fired up. And there are other days where I just want to speak into what's happening in culture a little bit and just give a biblical perspective of something that everyone is talking about. And so we're going to talk a little bit about love today. But I thought just because not all of you know us, I would just quickly tell you a little bit of our story. Um, our families were actually best friends when we were little kids. My dad was a pastor of Kristen's church. Uh, we were born in the same city and we knew each other up until we were about five years old. And then we kind of, our families kind of lost touch. We moved to Alabama for my dad to pastor a church there. And this was kind of the time where people didn't keep up on social media and stuff like that. If you moved, you know, eight, nine, 10 hours away, it was pretty sparse, the communication. And so our families kept in touch, but not a ton. And so um, fast forward to I'm uh, a freshman in college and we're taking a missions trip. My dad's church is taking a missions trip to Russia. We need a, some extra people. So he opens it up to the church that he used to pastor. I'm in charge of the music for the trip. And they say, oh, someone's coming on the trip that she plays and she sings. So y'all are going to work together for the trip on music. I'm like, okay, we get there and that's Kristen. And, uh, and we were pretty much inseparable on that trip and ever since. Mm -hmm. um, but because we kind of knew each other, you can kind of see the beginning of our love story right here. This is, um, this is my third birthday party. Um, it was a bozo-themed party, and so that's why I have on that sick jumpsuit, and, um, which my mother made. And, uh, and I got that, tri uh, that uh, what is that, a scooter with training wheels on it. And then if you check in the back and the denim jumper, that... I was still rocking a jumper even back then. That, uh, that is the face of a woman who's just spotted a man who got himself some wheels. <laughs> and if you look in the next photo, this is how the rest of life went. This is how the rest of life went. She said, I'll be taking that. Sorry. And I have not been in the driver's seat since. My mom let me do whatever I wanted and, to, so I'm not surprised. And you can see, I'm looking over like, this is not okay. And I think I'm, I've begun to take the hat off. The party is over for me. I'm like, my stuff's getting taken. The party is over. Um, and so we want to talk a little bit about love today because tomorrow is Valentine's Day. And, and it's a time where culture is celebrating love. So... Yeah, and I think sometimes we celebrate things that we don't really fully understand. Um, and so a few months before we were on that trip to Russia, I um, got the opportunity to go on my first missions trip to Ecuador. And I was really excited. I was uh, 16 years old, and my dad was with us. And um, so it was like a really big thing. Uh, in our family, um, when you... We're 16, like usually it was like, oh, you can go on your first missions trip and your dad's going to accompany you. So I was very excited about that. And some things got out of hand a little bit and there were some like, I don't know, promoting of... They're like protests kind of. Yeah, I don't really know. It's, yeah. They were like for somebody in the government or something. And we, as a teenager, not fully understanding the ramifications of what we were doing, we decided to just hop in on that 
and celebrate whatever they were celebrating, even though we fully had no idea what was going on. So through that, of course, we were just like very white. So they were like, oh, you're with us? Sure, let me hand you a microphone. And so I start celebrating dose, 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 not having any idea of what I was celebrating. It was and some kind of amendment they wanted to, the second amendment of their yeah, constitution. Yeah, I, I don't really understand, but it she was, got involved I was 16, in the politics you know, and I was just like, this looks like fun. And sure, I'll have a microphone. Um, because that's kind of how I've been my whole life. So I was very excited, but then kind of hindsight, now I realize I was doing something that I had no idea what I was celebrating, what I was promoting. And I think a lot of times, Valentine's Day or the topic of love, we know kind of like what it looks like, but we don't really understand what we're doing or like what ramifications it has we just see like the outside fluff of it yeah i think we can say that if you look at love as defined by culture it is not working right it is not working um but the problem now is that statistics show 50 percent of uh, of marriages end in divorce across the board and this used to be there used to be a separation between the church and unchurched people as far as the divorce rate and, and now there is not it's 50 percent across the board ends in divorce and i think a lot of it stems from this idea of not understanding what love is, not understanding exactly what love is. There's only two chapters in all of scripture that are dedicated to specific attributes. The first is in Hebrews where it talks about uh, faith and it kind of lists this hall of faith, they call it, where they go through all of these men and women who lived amazing, faithful lives and then what they accomplished. And then the other is 1 Corinthians 13, beginning in verse one, which if you've been to a wedding, you've heard. And it says this, if I speak in tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. And then this is the part that you're probably all familiar with, but I want us to listen well this morning. It says, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. Love never fails. I think when you hear that definition of love, you can see the difference in how the world portrays love and how the church should live out love. You can see the difference because see, what we do is we celebrate love as these one-off events, Valentine's Day, marriages, anniversaries. We'll be married 15 years next month. Um, she, Kristen had just turned... 19 when we got married. Yeah, she was a baby. And, um, and we celebrate kind of these big milestones. But love that never fails is not about remembering the big milestones. Love that never fails is about consistency day in and day out. Love that never fails is about choosing someone else day in and day out when you could choose yourself. And now if you're single in the room, you're not married, you're not in a relationship, do not tune out for two reasons. One, you're going to need this information at some point. 
And two, the idea of love is not contained just to married, marital relationships. The idea of, of the way love should look is not just contained to marital relationships. In fact, in John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, it says this, a new command, this is Jesus speaking, a new command I give to you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now, isn't it interesting that Jesus, talking to his disciples, did not say, the world will know you by your extravagant worship for me. The world will know you by the works that you do for me. He did not even say the world will know you by the love that you have for me. All of those things are important. But he said the world is going to know you by your love for one another. Because the world, the, the world does not necessarily understand your worship. The world does not necessarily understand your love for a God that maybe they've never met or they never believe in. But the world can comprehend when the way you love other people is different than the way they see everyone else loving people. The world can understand when you are loving one another differently. And I think that's why these important words from Jesus, is, uh, he said to his disciples, the world will know you if you love one another. And our entire mission at Harbor Church, if you've been around, we exist to make disciples of Jesus. And so if we exist to make disciples, and the way people know you are a disciple is through your love, then we need to understand yeah. love. We need to understand what love is. And the scripture says that God is love. And, and so what, what that means is that you cannot fully give something that you have not encountered or understood. Right. And so I believe that there is a different and more true expression of love from people who have experienced the love of God, because God is love. And so we want to kind of start with that premise and that basis of the fact that the quality of your relationship with God will determine the quality of your love in all your other relationships. The quality of your relationship with God will determine the quality that you love in other relationships. You will have more to give in your personal relationships mm -hmm. if you have received in your spiritual relationship. You will have more to give in those relationships if you have received. And in Mark chapter 12, the Bible says, love the Lord your God with all your heart. And then it jumps ahead and says, then love your neighbor as yourself. And, and Jesus says that these two commands are, are so close that they can almost not be distinguished from one another. In fact, the Pharisees, who are kind of the religious teachers of the day, they're specifically asking him, boil it down to one thing for us. And Jesus basically says, I can't. Because these two things are so intertwined that you have to love God and love your neighbor as yourself. But I think that the sequence is important as well. That first you learn to love and be loved by God, and then you are empowered to love your neighbor as yourself. Like as though you could not do that in your own strength. You could not do that if you did not already know and receive the love of God. And so we want to, we want to just kind of lay that premise that your love relationships with anyone else begin with the foundation of your love and your relationship with Jesus Christ. But the rest of this is going to be very practical because what we don't want you to hear is, oh, all I have to do is pray about my relationship and grow in my relationship with God and then neglect my relationship with everybody else. You, you still have to actually do the things that you can do to contribute to your relationships. See, the idea behind that verse is that once you have received love from God, then yeah. you are empowered to show that love. Right. 
But God does not force you to show that love. God does not force you to make the decisions you need to make to love one another. He just empowers you to do it. And so you still have to do the very practical things that, that make you responsible for your growth. And there is nothing like relationships, marital relationships, friendships that will force you to either grow or just stay in your immaturity. There is nothing like a a marital relationship that will expose your insecurity and your immaturity. I I mean, those are the things that, to me, I don't know about you, but in our first year of marriage, I think for both of us, the thing that was mostly exposed was our insecurity and our immaturity. Yeah, and I want to say, too, like I feel like when we don't receive God's love and we're in any type of relationship we can find ourselves really needing the love, but it's it's in an unhealthy way because we haven't been, God's love is the only kind of love that's really going to satisfy and to fulfill us. So if I'm coming to him and I'm like, I need to be loved, it's never going to meet really what I need. I'm still going to walk away from this feeling like, I still need it. You're not able to give me what I really need. So that is very important, and which uh, segues into our next um, kind of our roadblock of experiencing love is selfishness. I think um, on our first year of marriage, I realized I'm selfish. <laughs> Everybody does because you realize me too. <laughs> um, that when you come together. The other person, you think like, oh, surely you're just going to meet all of my needs. And oh, I have to meet your needs too. Like you just have this feeling of like, oh, I think I thought we were just supposed to. But really it's when I'm, my intention is to fulfill his needs and his intention is to fulfill my needs. That that's when we become a cohesive. Um, and Ephesians 5.25 says, talks about loving Christ is Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. And I think just that beautiful picture of um, of husbands just loving your church, loving the church, um, because it's it's the bride. It is the bride of Christ, and in return, us just giving back to Him what He's given to us. And it's just this beautiful imagery of of how God designed it to be. Yeah, marriage is intended to be a reflection of Jesus' relationship to the church. And that's why a right view of the church is so important in our lives. If you view the church as a place where you only receive and you only consume, you'll view your relationships as places where you only receive and you only consume. And so it's important for us to remember that the reason the church exists is so that we can contribute to the work of God, that we can contribute to the work of God. And the same is true in our relationships is the question should always be, what can we give to one another? Not, not what can we get from one another, but what can we get, get or give to one another? And so the goal of our relationships really is always to bring uh, the gospel to those around us. It's to bring the gospel of those around us. See, one of the, one of the things, and we, we said this if you were in any of our launch team meetings, is, is one of the roles of the church is to create a community that people see that community and they say, I want that. Yeah. I want the way those people operate. I want the way those people live. I want that community. The same should be true for marriages of followers of Jesus Christ. People should see their marriages and say, I want that. 
I want that relationship. And, and that is the problem with those divorce statistics where the church is in line with the world, where it's still at that 50% number, it is that I truly believe that there are people now that are looking at marriage and tapping out of marriage because they see the failure rate, essentially. Like, if you told me that the, the success rate of bungee jumping was 50%, I ain't jumping. <laughs> Like there's no way. The only reason the only reason that people enter into these risky behaviors is one, some of them just don't have that switch you should have that tells you not to do things. Mm-hmm. Or two, they they are convinced enough that the success rate is high enough that it's bent in their favor. And, and that is what people should see when they see marriages of people that are following Christ. It is that it's really bent in my favor that love never fails. That if I truly enter into this relationship with this basis of love as Christ gave himself for the church, that it would never fail. And I think one of the problems that we run into a lot these days is because uh, there are not as many good, healthy examples of marital relationships, of loving relationships, is that when people come together and they enter into a relationship and they get, and they get married or whatever kind of relationship it might be, they're ultimately trying to build something that they've never seen modeled well. They're trying to build something that they don't fully understand. And this is why uh, whenever you see a new neighborhood development, they build a model home. They build a home that you can come and walk through because you've never built a home before. And you've lived in a home, but you've never built a home. And it's not until you build a home or you're looking for a home that you realize there's a lot more you have to think about than you knew you had to think about. And so they build a model home so that you can walk through it. And you might say, like, yeah, I don't know if I would want carpet in this room. I would maybe want wood floors. You can make some tweaks and some changes. But there's a model to say, like, this is how these homes are built. And the the relationships that we have as followers of Jesus Christ should be like model homes that people are looking to to say, I want to build my life like that. I want to build my relationship. I want to build my marriage like that. Yeah. And I also want to add to that, like if you have been in a broken relationship or have experienced divorce, like just because God's uh, the idea that he had for marriage and for relationship hasn't played out as like you had hoped, there's always grace and mercy. The Lord is always saying like, that doesn't mean you separate from me. You, he is always welcoming us in and we are always going to be learning and growing and becoming stronger in our relationships and even in our marriages if we've experienced um, separation or brokenness in that. God is always there just waiting for us to reach to him and say like, listen, I've, I've been off track. I've, I've messed up. Like this is where we haven't been on the right page, but you can lead me and you can lead our family. You can lead our relationships. There's always mercy in yeah, that. And if you're in a relationship where you feel like, man, this thing might be unraveling, I, I just want to speak hope over that and, and remind you that, that in those desperate situations where it feels like everything is falling apart, that's where God does his best yes. work. That's where God does his most clear work. And so, and so I just want you to be encouraged by that. And what would you say uh, are some ways that selfishness play out, uh, plays itself out in relationships? Probably in impatience. I feel like we can be very impatient with each other because we expect way more from other people than we do ourselves. We would like a lot of grace and a lot of mercy but as far as extending it to other people, I feel like we are very short to like, but obviously we have to re- look back to the Bible. 
We forget, we are forgiven because God forgave us. And so we have to live with that mindset uh, or not, we are going to find ourselves um, in a really bad place, in a really bitter place. And that's very dangerous when you, again, are becoming the consumer. You want to consume the forgiveness, consume the love, but you're really not um, giving it as as God gave it to us. Yeah, and I can say, in, in terms of the impatience thing, I've been an impatient person my whole life. I'm a very impatient wow. person. I, yeah, I've been very impatient. I don't like when things are not going as efficiently as they could be or as quickly as they could be. And so I've had to learn that in our relationship to watch for those things. Like sometimes, when, some, some of the ways that I know it plays out for me as, as a guy, really two ways is like sometimes... Kristen will launch into like a story with some setup that I already know the setup, and sometimes I'm like, I know this part. Jump to what I'm I, not as great of a storyteller. It's okay. Jump like, to the I, part I don't know. Jump to the part I don't know, and that's rude. But I'm like, hey, let's just jump there because I know th- I know about how long this is gonna take because I know, <laughs> and let's just get to the part. And, uh, and, and so I got to like, I just have to, we have to be better listeners. We have to yes, engage. We have to yes. listen. Women want you to listen. They want you to listen. And, and yeah, exactly. And, and the other thing, the other thing I know is that as, as men often, and these are not blanket, like this might be reversed in some of your relationships, but as men often, we are fixers. So it's like our wife wants to bring us an issue or a problem. She doesn't really want you to fix it. She just wants you to be there and hear and talk comfort, it through. Comfort. She wants you to comfort and she wants you to listen. And th- literally just this week on Tuesday, uh, we have a, a situation in our garage where we don't have a key to the door that comes from in the garage into our house, but it's never really mattered because if the garage door is down and the door to the outside is locked, it's fine until your two-year-old locks the door out to the garage and then your car is in there and you literally cannot get into the garage. And so we tried taking the door to the garage from the outside off the hinges and you know they've thought these things through because they don't want you to break into your house. And so we had tried everything and so Kristen actually tried a bunch of stuff then she I was at work she called me to come home because they needed to get the kids to school and all these kind of things. So I come home I assess the situation for like two minutes and I'm like we're either gonna we're gonna have to call a locksmith to get us into the garage, but then even if we do call a locksmith to get us in the garage, we're gonna have to replace this doorknob because you know this is not a good Which situation. Makes sense, yeah, so we're but there. also not communicating so, this information. So I was like, yeah, so I was like, okay, and I didn't explain to Kristen my plan. I just went out of my car and I walked in with a hammer and I beat the doorknob off the door. <laughs> I just beat the doorknob right off the door. And then I was like, I, I literally I was like, you're good to go, and went back to work. And um and the doorknob is still broken. But, but, this is, but this is so often what we do in our relationships as fixers, as guys, is we come in at like the Savior. I felt great leaving, by the way. When we left, I was like, two minutes in the garage, done. She's got her car. This is a win. But the problem is when we do this in our conversations and in our relationships, we do what I did, which is I felt like I fixed it and I felt great, but really I just left it a different kind of broken. Like, like the doorknob was still a mess. There's still something that has to be attended to. There's still something that has to be taken care of. But I have not taken care of that yet. And as guys, we do that in our relationships. Like, our wife will want to have a conversation with us about something she's walking through, about something that's on her heart with her family, with work, with whatever it might be. We spout off the answer, and we're like, you're welcome. 
You're welcome. I fixed it. But we, there's actually more to address there. There's actually more to take care of. And so I think as guys, we need to, we need to kind of navigate yeah. through that as fixers to kind of be willing to listen, be willing to walk through those things yeah. together. So that's kind of the first. We're talking really about like things that inhibit healthy love. The first one is selfishness. What's another one, uh, babe, that we've... Division. Yeah. Uh, John 17, 11 says, God commands blessing where there is unity. Yeah. Yeah. God commands blessing where there is unity. That's first of all, like just pause there for a second. God commands blessing where there is unity. And and that's a huge statement in and of itself. And and I love when things are simple like that, where if you want a blessed relationship, if you want a blessed marriage, you have to commit to unity. You have to commit to being unified. And, And that's why we talk a lot about the idea of when you're, uh, entering into a dating relationship in the church. If you've not been around the church, you've maybe never heard this phrase, but in the church, we talk a lot about this idea of being unequally yoked. And the idea behind that phrase is basically back in Bible times when two oxes were pulling a cart, they, they had to be yoked together so that they went in the same direction. And if they were unequally yoked, they could attempt to go opposite directions and they would ultimately get nowhere. And so we use that verse a lot talking about like, oh, you shouldn't be in a relationship or you shouldn't marry someone that's an unbeliever. And, and that, that's fine. But what I think we need to realize as followers of Jesus is that you can have two Christian committed adults in marriage that are unequally yoked yeah. because they're still fighting for direction that they're still trying to take their, their family a different direction, their lives a different direction. They're not on the same page. And so I think sometimes it's like if we get to that place where it's like, ah, we're married, we're good, we're equally yoked. Being equally yoked is something that you have to regularly check in on in your relationships. You have to regularly check in on your goals, on, on where you're heading as a family, on the way that you're parenting, on the way that you're loving each other, on where you're heading in order to be equally yoked. And I can say now, because of the goodness of God, when we first got married, we were far from unity. We were trying our best, but we were just missing the mark a lot, a lot. And we really just over time, it's just like, I feel like God really honors the time that you invest and just, just making the choice of like, I'm going to be faithful to you no matter what, even if there are days where I don't like you, even if there are days where I'm just like not feeling this at all. Because what I've done is I've, I've made a vow before God that I'm going to be faithful to you. So I'm going to be faithful to my word and I'm going to choose to do what I do not fit, feel. And I just think God really blesses that because you'll even feel the unity happen, happening after you've made the choice to be unified. You don't have this feeling of like, oh, we're unified. It's like, it starts with the choice to honor each other. And then uh, the unification comes. And we've just got to experience like this, like really uh, stressful time recently when we were in Guatemala and I was stuck there because of COVID and um, but it was funny because every day we were literally, it felt like we were dating again because we were FaceTiming nonstop because I was just missing my, the, Jordan. We I was were not missing, sleeping together. No. <laughs> and I just missed him so bad. And, uh, but it was weird because like we've always been together. And so it just was such an unusual time. But as 
as the time, it was a stressful season because we weren't sure like what it looked like for me to come back or what the timeline was. And um, after a lot of conversations on the phone, I told him, like he said to me, he was like, you know, something that like stands out to me, this has been very stressful, but like we've been unified in every decision that we've made. And like something about that just was like, Yes, and that's God. Like, because that doesn't naturally happen. We are naturally selfish people. And, but when God, you place God at the center and you make that choice, like, there's something supernatural that happens where when you're in stressful situations, when you've invested time, that you see that, like, God's hand is in your marriage, in your relationship, and that He's going to lead you, and it's going to be a peaceful, like you start to walk in a peaceful way. And so it was just such a blessing to get to see that like 15 years in, like we're seeing that God is with us and we had a peace and our communication felt clear. You know, there were definitely times where we were stressed, like what should we do? But it was like, no, God, God's directing our steps. We do what we can and we have to surrender it to him. Yeah, and, and that was one of those seasons too where it, it forced, because our lives were so different for like 10 days where we were separated, she uh, had COVID. I was taking care of her from like afar, dropping, doing like night drops at her door for snacks and stuff like that. But we were having to intentionally plan ahead to meet each other's needs. Yeah. We were having to intentionally plan ahead. And, and it was like a reminder of, of, of learning to pursue her again, to think ahead on her needs. And I think a lot of times in our marriage relationships, we quit pursuing once we get into a marriage relationship or once we get into a dating relationship, whatever it might be. And, and here's the thing. If you, if you quit if you quit pursuing someone once you get them, you were not pursuing, you were hunting. Nobody wants to be hunted. No. Like, because when you hunt someone down, like, once you get them, you use yeah. them for your needs. Like, you, you know, you, like, you, you take it and you kill it and you eat it and whatever. Yeah. I'm not saying you kill whoever you got. I'm, <laughs> it was a mixed metaphor that, that I don't want you to misinterpret. But... But, but pursuing someone is a lifetime commitment. Right. It's a lifetime. There is no end goal in, in, in the pursuit that we have. Yeah. In the same way that God, all throughout Scripture, it was just God pursuing his people. Yeah. And when his people would find a way to kind of scorn him, he'd find another way to pursue them. And that is what a marriage relationship is. It's continuing to pursue one another despite the circumstances. And there's obviously, there's obviously situations like, the, I feel like giving the disclaimer, obviously, abusive situations and things like that where yeah. you, you got to get out and you yes. got to put some space. Yeah. We're not talking about that. But I do believe our culture is too quick to quit yeah. just when it's just not going perfect. You know, when, it's, when, when it gets a little rocky, we, we step away, we walk away when that's not really what needs to happen. Because the, the, ultimately, when it comes to unity, the enemy's, goal, or the enemy's goal is for you to divide and conquer each other. And God's goal is for you to unite and conquer together. Yes. Like he's given you a, a shared purpose that when you're united, you can be conquerors together. And the enemy wants to get you guys divided and fighting and conquering each other. And so um, I think that's just kind of an important thing in terms mm -hmm. of, of unity. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, go ahead. Um, the enemy has come to break our relationship with God and each other, but our relational brokenness is an assignment for the enemy to stop generations from being free. And I've, again, just kind of that fighting for the generation that's going to follow. Like we have a responsibility to steward what God has given us, the relationships, not just for ourselves, but for those that 
proceed after us. Yeah. And I just, I want to say too, one of the ways, we'll just kind of breeze through this part, but one of the ways that I think division often shows up in our relationships because we're so comfortable with each other is our speech towards each other. Like, this is a tough one for me sometimes because I like to be, uh, I like to be funny and I like to get a laugh. Like, I've always, always got me in trouble when I was a kid in school, man. I always had the perfect line that would get me sent to the office, but would get like a killer laugh. And so the problem with that, though, in relationships is like Kristen and I have a really fun, like playful relationship where we'll laugh and joke with each other. But like sarcasm and sharpness can turn real quick. Yeah. It can turn real quick because when you, when you're someone that knows someone the best, you can hurt them the most. Like you can, I could, there, there's like a comment I could throw out to Kristen, like I could, and same with her, I could do it in front of everyone and none of you guys would even know how much I just hurt her. But I know because I know her so well. I know that one little comment, like I know how to hurt her. She knows how to hurt me. And we have to be so careful, like not to pull the playfulness and the fun out of our relationships, but to check our words because that sharpness, that sarcasm, uh, you know, sometimes we tend to be nicer to strangers than we are to the people that live in our houses with us, that we live next to. Like, you know, some of you have maybe grown up, your example of relationships was, man, my dad and mom were nice to every everybody but each other. They were kind to everybody but each other. And we want to have homes and marriages where people, the the model is my parents were kind, kindest to each other. It was clear that they loved each other. And and kind of the last one, uh, the last kind of uh, hinder to love is, is what, what is the one we talk about? Unmet expectations. Unmet expectations. Expectations for marriage begin long before marriage. Yeah. And so this is like, speaking to those that are maybe not in a relationship yet, like it, this is, might be your season of waiting, but there's still preparation that you can do while you are waiting. Yeah. I think it's, Kristen said it, that expectations for marriage begin a long time before marriage, which means that you come with two separate sets of expectation because the, the woman was maybe growing up, you know, watching romance movies and planning her wedding since she was five years old and the guy was not, but they both have expectations of what marriage and a wedding should look like. But what happens so often is you don't discuss those things ahead of time. You don't communicate those things ahead of time. So then you get married and you're mad at each other for not playing the role, Mm -hmm. but the other person never saw the script. Like, you're mad at each other for not living up to the expectations, but they didn't even know. You know, and it's interesting when you look at, uh, when you look at how guys and girls approach marriage, when they study kids and they study kids that grow up looking towards marriage, playing marriage, all those kind of things, girls tend to play romance and guys tend to play power. Like girls tend to play romance and play house. And again, these are like generalizations. This may not be totally true in your marriage, but then guys play like power tools and police and firemen and like power. And so you bring that to your relationship. You often you bring that to your marriage where you come in and you say, okay, now this is my place to experience romance. But the guy's saying, this is my place to exercise power. And those two things are like oil and water. Those two things don't mix. And so you have to be really clear about the expectations that you have going into marriage so that you, you can know what the other one is expecting, that you, you can communicate about what the other person is expecting. And communication is key when it comes to expectations. And I think this is one maybe where our roles are a little bit reversed 
but I'm very bad at, I will, I will be upset about something that you haven't done or you did do that I never communicated to you. Yeah, I think we're kind of equal in that because I can find my personality is very like, I don't want to be a burden. I don't want to like make you feel like you have, like I don't want to be needy. So I won't say things because, but then I realize like usually or oh, 100% of the time, if I just say to you like, this is the expectation that I have and I'm like feeling this sort of way. We work through it way better if I'm just able to verbalize it rather than me just keeping it to myself because that's not how it was meant to be if we're together in one. Yeah, and I would say too, um, like I think your expectations for marriage should be high, but also I'll say the very worst advice that we got going into our marriage, and people say this and they mean to be nice, they, they mean to be kind when they say it, but I, whenever I do premarital counseling, I try to say, make sure people know this because people always say the first year of marriage is the best year of marriage. That is not true. That is not true. I don't know who, I think unmarried people are spreading that as a rumor <laughs> because that is not true. And it shouldn't be true. Yeah. It should not. Even if you're, if your first marriage, a year of marriage is roses and it's fantastic. That's still bad news if it's your best year of marriage. Like, like the whole point of marriage is that you are growing together. And so if your first year of marriage is your best year, I mean, I'm glad it was great, but that's trouble. Like you, you want to be continually growing, continually getting better. But often your first year of marriage is a year of figuring out how to live and how to exist with somebody else and meeting their needs. And so I think that can often be an unmet expectation as you come in expecting it to be the best year of your life when really in a lot of ways it's the most complicated and challenging year of your life because you're doing something you've never done before. And these are kind of the last two things I want to say on as far as when it comes to expectation. We kind of hit the first one, which is no one can meet expectations that have not been communicated. I tell that to our team about the teams that they lead yeah. is no one can no one can meet expectations that you didn't communicate. If you didn't tell somebody what time you wanted them to be somewhere, don't be upset when they're not there. If you didn't tell someone how to set something up and then they set it up wrong, don't be upset at them. You didn't, you didn't explain it. You didn't, you didn't um, communicate it. Um, and so I think that's very important. But the, the second thing is this, and I think this is a huge one that gets in a lot, is that no one can meet expectations that were intended to be filled by God. No one can meet expectations that were intended to be filled by God. If you place an expectation on someone else that only God can meet, you've set them up for failure and you've set yourself up for frustration. Right. And I think we do that all the time in our relationships with others. And I think there's really three things that, that only God can meet in our lives and we can only rely on God for. And these are things that honestly, I believe the best way to go about marriage is that you already have these things set and that you understand them from God, and that is your identity. You cannot rely on your spouse or a relationship to fulfill your identity. You cannot, the, the idea of finding someone that completes you is false. You need to be two whole people coming together. Two complete people coming together. Your identity cannot be determined outside of God. The other one is your value. Your value has already been determined and set out by God. God gave his only son for you. That's how valuable you are. You do not need the validation of anybody else. Yes. And if you place that on your spouse, if you place that on your significant other, you will be frustrated and they will feel like a failure because it will never happen. And then the final one is your purpose. Your purpose 
cannot be set by your spouse. This is one of those areas where communication is key, that you come together and that you, and that you are ensured that your life purpose is in alignment with the person that you're committing your life to. Because if God has spoken a purpose clearly over your life that does not jive with someone you're in a relationship with, either God's purpose is going to be derailed in your life or that relationship is going to be derailed in your life. But you've got to make sure that you enter into relationships with people that understand the purpose that God has for your life. Identity and value and purpose cannot be determined outside of your relationship with God. They have to be first settled in your relationship with God. And when you can bring your identity and your sense of value and your sense of purpose into a relationship, when two people can bring that into a relationship and not expect it from somebody else, that changes everything in your relationship. Because it, it helps you move past that insecurity. It helps you move past that immaturity and it allows you to grow together because the things that you're asking for each other are things we can actually give each other. We're actually setting each other up for success, which means we're setting up our relationship for success. And so as we kind of started this, it begins with both of us being committed to following after God, being equally yoked, both of us walking in the same direction towards God, getting what we need from God so that we can give to each other what we need from each other. Yeah. But it starts with our relationship with him. Would you bow your heads with me this morning?